You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Open Lines After Dark. I am Kevin Laramie, and you are listening to SBN Radio. Lines are open 802 375 7445. Give us a call to talk about. Anything you would like in the world of sports. Topics are open. Lines as well. What a great week in the world of sports. A lot of craziness. If you want to know more about what's going on in Rio right now with the scare about the Olympics coming their way to Rio right now. So if that is the type of thing that interests you, go listen to the Firings podcast of today that Dwayne Rollins and myself did a great conversation about should the Rio Olympics be postponed? Uh, that's a great question. Could it be? Is it possible? Is it feasible? Is it logical? Or maybe more feasible or logical are not necessarily the same meaning in this way, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. There was a game seven tonight. San Jose Sharks were at home against the Natural Predators. In Game 7 of the Conference Semifinals. And the San Jose Sharks have shaken that monkey off their backs. And won in a great fashion. A statement type of game for the San Jose Sharks. 5 nothing at home against the Predators. The Predators did not go up for this game. They got, uh, well, after 20 minutes it was 3 nothing Sharks. Because of power plays, but because of, well, great team play by the Sharks. And ever since Joe Thornton, well, this year, I think it actually happened two years ago. Not going to be, a, I think last year or two years ago, that Joe Thornton was removed to see as the captain anymore, Joe Pavelski is. And Joe Pavelski has had a great impact on this team. He is playing out of his mind uh, with a lot of, I would call it, emotion. But controlled in a way that he doesn't lose their mind. When you look at when you're thinking of a San Jose team, you're not thinking about a a hockey team that is like aggressive, like dirty. No, you're talking about a physical team. Yes, a big team that's hard to move off the puck. But now this year, with what they were able to do in the playoffs, play well and clutch. And when you win five nothing in a game seven, it's a statement and it's reassuring. And you can almost see a smile. Off the face of Joe Thornton when it was about two minutes left in that game. And about five minutes left in that game, there was literally no chance for Nashville to come back. They they throw in the towel quite early, I have to say. They, they were trying, they were they were going through the motions, but there was no emergency in that game. And I think it has to do with the three nothing first period for the San Jose Sharks. But what a great 
win for San Jose. It wasn't easy. It was a tough series filled with overtime, filled with uh, drama. Remember that long overtime game that went to third OT that Nashville won off a after, sorry, a goal was disallowed for San Jose. So then it's a lot of drama, but they they overcame it. And, you know, San Jose in their his recent history in the playoff, they have taken the lead in the series quite often, but they, they floundered it a couple of times and lost the season, well, lost their season, ended their season in a bad and very unwinner-like fashion by being like either swept or a great comeback by the other team, not having that instinct to finish off a series. Tonight, they did. Tonight... San Jose was able to clinch a ticket to the conference finals. So, the table is set in the NHL for the conference finals. Last night, Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, we have a question, uh, Craig Beer. Who do I think the, the Habs will pick in the first round of the draft in the NHL? And that's very interesting. At the ninth spot right now for the Montreal Canadiens, it's hard for me to think that they're going to... Uh, pick somebody that we heard before or pick somebody that we would expect. There's the name Pierre-Luc Dubois, which is maybe the best, if not the best, uh, Quebecer or you know, French-speaking player in the draft this year. He is touted to be maybe a first-rounder between the fifth and the top ten pick. So he could be available for the Montreal Canadiens. So will the Canadians try to get a Pierre-Luc Dubois to appease the uh, part of the population that doesn't necessarily uh, see the Canadian as their team now because there's not a lot of representation of the population on the ice. They're in the head office now, which is amazing. But we need more French-speaking players on the ice to create that uh, that synergy to break that fourth wall, even though the club and this and the with social media now, it's not as a big of a fact because you do have players like P.K. Subban who does take advantage of the forums that he does have to uh, communicate and interact with the players, such as Brendan Gallagher and the Galchenyuk. So the, uh, the the feeling of belonging is there. But a Pierre-Luc Dubois might be a potential first draft pick. I'm not necessarily know all the big names. Of course, we all know the savior for the Maple Leaf, you could say. I don't think it's going to be. And if you're looking at the World Championship right now, Austin Matthews didn't break anything recently in the World Championship. But yeah, Austin Matthews, which is the highly touted first pick, and Villalene, which is uh, probably going to be the second draft pick. So what's left for the Canadians in ninth spot? It'll be interesting. Maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois. So uh, thanks for your question on Twitter. You can uh, ask a question. Do like Crooked Bear. Ask a question on Twitter at Kev Laramie or more at SportsPodNet. Hashtag SPN Radio. Now, uh, we're talking about the NHL playoffs. Tampa Bay versus Pittsburgh in the final game in the Eastern Conference. You know, Pittsburgh last night eliminated the Washington Capitals in overtime. You know, Phil Kessel, great game. These great goals in the first period and the beginning of the second for Pittsburgh really set the tone. And the Washington Capitals were never in that game last night. Well, they were technically, uh, but Pittsburgh seemed to have a certain confidence. Ever since Sullivan took over as head coach, he brought a little something to that team that we haven't seen 
in a while, you know. Uh, you had with Bosma at the helm, it had became stale over the years. And you saw a Sidney Crosby being maybe rejuvenated with the presence of Sullivan as the head coach. So that being said, even though Washington was maybe the favorite in that series this year, Pittsburgh have pulled out a rabbit out of their hat, played well when it's the right time. And that's what happened in a playoff system in professional sports. It's not how you finish. Yeah, it's important. You're on top. Yay. Congratulations. Good for you, buddy. But it's only a part of the job. The most important in the culture, the way we are raised as sports fans and the way that athletes in North America are raised as athletes. Because an athlete starts by being a sports fan to begin with. Let's never forget that. The love of the game and the fandom of the game might erode over the years. But a pro athlete, a pro athlete, some pro athletes, are sports fans to begin with. And that's something that we don't uh, we forget sometimes. And uh, yeah, it, it's a fun and game for everybody. But going back to my thoughts of when you're looking at Pittsburgh, just being the better team or better coach team or the team with the most amount of belief or the better team as cohesive unit where when you have two juggernaut team like Pittsburgh and Washington in juggernaut in the way that they have game changers with them I use the word game changers and not superstars because nowadays they're all superstars but there's a handful of game changers when you have an Ovechkin on one side and you have on the other side a couple more game changers uh, Malkin, Crosby, and Phil Kessel. Who would have thought that Phil Kessel would be a game changer in that series? Well, he was. You have Backstrom on Washington's side, and you had a goaltender in Holtby that gold a season probably above expectation. But can you replicate that in the playoffs? Mm, it wasn't the case. So what that does tell me is you have Murray, though. That's the thing. Murray is goaling the way Opie was in the season. But Murray, the rookie goalkeeper, Max Murray for... Is it Max? I don't know. But Murray for Pittsburgh in the playoff is doing that. And we've seen emerging goalkeepers, goaltenders. In hockey, it's goaltenders. I know. But in goaltenders, we've seen over the years, young goaltenders emerging in the playoff. The best example was a young... Cam Ward with Carolina Hurricanes. We've seen Patrick Roy do the same with the Montreal Canadiens. We've seen other goalkeepers do the same elsewhere. Sometimes everything's in line. And a young goalkeeper comes into the playoffs, plays like there's no tomorrow, but plays like there's no pressure on his shoulder because theoretically he doesn't have a pressure. He doesn't even know. He, he, he sees himself... In position that he did not even expect to see himself in that season. Because usually, if you're a young rookie goalkeeper in the playoff and you just barely played for the team before, yeah, Murray played for Pittsburgh more than the example we gave before, uh, which was a uh, Kendra in the same way too, uh, well, long, long, long time ago. But when you have your opportunity, you have to take it. And when you're really young and it's your first stint with the club and you're in the playoff and everything's going well, that's the only thing you know. So, so the pressure on the shoulder, it's there. But you don't realize it. You don't know it yet because you're just discovering everything. You're still, oh, you're still wide, eyes wide open, looking at 
glaring at everything, just like oh, trying to absorb everything, and everything just starts to make sense. When you first get there, all you see is blurs and colors, and you hear people talking to you. But slowly, you get accustomed to the to the bright light. You could say uh, that's everything surrounding the life of being a pro athlete at that level when you're a young kid like Marie is. Uh, but that being said, he's doing it, and he's keeping to do it. And, you know, it's not in the playoff. It's it's a grand tour theory. It's not the first goal you allowed that counts. It's the one that you don't, especially if it goes in overtime. And Pittsburgh got their opportunity with that goal in overtime to win that game, game six, and move on to uh, the uh, Eastern Conference Final versus Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, that's another great story. Tampa Bay Lightning without Steven Samkos. And uh, it's going to be known over the next few days. But you cannot probably expect him in this series. Blood cloth in his legs, which were maybe dangerous, that could travel and be dangerous to him. So that will be one of the interesting factors for Tampa Bay. But apparently it's not even the one in the first two rounds because... You remember this season, Jonathan Drouin, the whole debacle. Now he's sent down to the crunch of Syracuse and not play. Got sent home for a month, came back. That's all forgotten. Everybody forgot about that. Why? Because he's playing well when it matters. And Jonathan Drouin is a type of talent that speaks for itself on the ice. Doesn't matter what happens. And he's not a bad guy. He's not a bad kid at all. He maybe wasn't... uh, didn't receive the best advice and maybe didn't follow the best procedures or the best protocols how to handle a conflict of personality or something, you know? We're not privy of the situation that happened behind closed doors, but what we saw is the ramification of it and the repercussions of it. But Jonathan Drouin, right now, when you're looking at him playing like he's a veteran, playing like it's nothing. He does have a great experience in a pressure situation in junior and uh, before that image at AAA, being a player that was always either a captain or a superstar of a team for basically the last eight, eight, nine years of his development. So when that happens, you you forge a a certain character and a certain identity that when it comes playoff time, especially in the world of hockey, you're able to shine. And so that's what Drouin is showing right now. And, you know, it, it, because of the situation that he got sent down and, and because of the uh, him and uh, the coach of Tampa Bay couldn't agree on many different uh, situations. John, I forget his uh, last name right now. But, you know, the coach of Tampa Bay eventually and Jonathan Dwayne put water in their wine, let bygones be bygones, and when they need him, he scores. All is well. It's under the bridge now, and Tampa Bay is playing against Pittsburgh for a chance to appear in the Stanley Cup Finals. The only four wins away without Stamkos. And that brings a big question because Steven Stamkos is a free agent at the end of the season. July 1st, to be honest, to be precise. So does Tampa Bay, with the result that they do have right now and that they are getting without him, do you even sign him? Do you even think about it? Is it worth it? Is he worth that money? Because if you go to the finals, and who knows if you win the damn cup, because it's a fluke year, not that the teams that are there are not worthy. But in the Western Conference, probably the top three teams of the last decade have been eliminated quickly this year. 
talking about the Kings of LA, talking about the Chicago Blackhawks, and we're talking about the Anaheim Ducks, which have been eliminated in the first or second round. Actually, I think third, all three were eliminated in the first round, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, they're all gone. They leave the door wide open. When teams like St. Louis and San Jose, which is, this year was one of the, we'll get to those teams soon. I'll just finish my point that it's wide open for Tampa Bay. They, they have a shot. They're not worse than all the other three teams. Those teams are not a favorite. They're not anybody's pick at the beginning of the season to win the Stanley Cup, any of those fours. So with Tampa Bay being in the final four, quote-unquote, of the NHL, without their top superstar, which will be a free agent, do you even think about signing him or you disregard that right away? And imagine what you can do with the rest of that money that saves you in a salary cap type of world. So my advice to Steve Eiserman, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, which he couldn't care more at all, he doesn't care at all about my advice, if he even listens to the show. What up, Stevie Y? So, Stevie Y, Steve, my man. My man, Azaman. I'm telling you today, don't even think about Steven Samkos. You go see him, you're like, are you good? You're back? You're, you're, you're 100%. You're healthy. Your leg is fine. You're not any in danger of having a blood cloth traveling up your body and going into you, your, either your brain or your, your heart to create damage. You're good. All right. Shake his hand. Thanks for your services. You will always be a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. You will always be welcome here as an alumni. But off you go. Have fun on the free agent market. Why not? If you win the cup without him, why would you even think about signing him? It's not for the future. You have arrived. They have arrived now without him. Unfortunately for him, he had an injury and a bad timing. And the train, he even though he was a conductor, he was the one who brought the train to the track. But once it got up to speed, he had to bolt. Train is not stopping. It's going. And I do believe if it was me in a salary cap world, I would not even consider re-signing Steven Semkos, especially not on a lengthy, multi-year, more than $10 million contract, which he deserves per year. No, no way. No way, Steven. Off you go. Thanks for your services. Going back to the aspect of the underdogs, by the way, lines are open 1-802-375-7445. It's open line after dark. And uh, St. Louis versus San Jose in the Western Conference Final. Very interesting. Two teams that were not expected to be there. Finished third, well, both finished second, actually, in their division, which got themselves a playoff spot. And they both beat, in the first round, a very capable team. And in the second round as well, St. Louis didn't go to the adversity that a San Jose did. But San Jose closed the book in game seven in a statement fashion. Now, two teams that have been working hard for the last five years, if not more, that they have been contender, have been going into a playoff situation. St. Louis, ever since Ken Hitchcock has assumed head coach position and changed his ways, not necessarily relying as much defensively in the trap, they're all still playing defensively in the trap. We're not going to shy away from it. It's true. You don't hear that anywhere, but every hockey team is playing defensively. It's part of the fabric of the hockey game now. 
but they're finding ways to create that offense and that offensively speaking mindset that Ken Inchok has been able to transition to as a head coach because it's more suited to the type of player that he does have with St. Louis. So that being said, San Jose now, the monkey's off their back. They might be playing even more loose in the conference finals. For me, San Jose's the favorite in that one. I do choose San Jose. And in East, to wrap it up in the NHL playoff right now, which basically has turned out to be a conference finals preview. But Tampa Bay-Pittsburgh talked about Tampa Bay and how it's great for them. I don't see how anybody stops Pittsburgh. I see Pittsburgh and San Jose right now facing off in the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. And I see San Jose pulling off the upset, making Sydney wait even more long between Stanley Cups. Because only Stanley Cup said the kid, 2009, which is seven years ago. <laughs> yes, people, said the kid won a Stanley Cup seven years ago. All right, we'll be right back after this. This is Open Lines After Dark. I'm Kevin Laramie, and you can call in 802-375-7445. You are listening to SPN Radio, powered by the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit sportspodcastingnetwork.com for more. Give us a call. Studio line 929-477-3874. We are back live on Open Lines After Dark. I'm Kevin Laramie. This is SPN Radio. Good question I've just been asked on Twitter. And again, you want to ask me a question, ask at SportsPodNet. So at SportsPodNet or at hashtag SPN Radio. What's the most inexcusable cheap shot? Uh, that's by Creek Bear. Creek, uh, Parks or Wimet, McSurley on Brashear or Bertruzzi on Moore? I'm glad you included the Parks on Wimet. Because I had discussion with Dwayne and other friends I have in the soccer world about the Romeo Parks shot, which if you don't know, it happened last, well, it's actually almost a week ago now. On Well, it is uh, soon. Last Saturday it happened, the game between the Pittsburgh Riverhound and the New York Red Bulls too in the USL. A play happened. I'm not aware of the situation before this, but both players get sent off. We met is turning his back to Parks. He's on his way uh, walking to the bench, walking being sent off. So Parks... Thinks about it for a second. Thinks about it. Then he kicks him just below the two shoulder blades in his back while Carl uh, Carl is not expecting it. Carl we met flops down, is carted off on a stretcher. Stretcher job. It's fine now. There's not going to be any lasting damage to his back. MRI turned out negative. It's just the pain and the the muscles that took the brunt and while well, the cleats, well digged in too so but yeah it's a vicious kick that has no place i was gonna say in sports but has no place in life and if i'm either we met or the rebels too i would still maybe look into the situation of uh bringing in legal procedures in this thing i don't know it's that type of situation which mcsorley brashear bertuzzi moore especially the bertuzzi moore did finish in the courtroom but uh, uh, now we met is fine. He probably wants to move on and go on with his career and not necessarily have this situation be in a defined moment of his career 
so far. So the Parkson we met is a great, well, not great. There's nothing great about those cheap shops, but it's a very most inexcusable cheap shop I've ever seen. McSorley on Brashear. You're talking about a guy who takes his stick and swings it to the temple of another guy that's not even expecting it. Never mind that he has a helmet. Never mind that he has about an inch of plastic to his temple that protects. That's where the shot hit. Of course, the blade of the the, the stick hit multiple angle, but that's where it hit. And the blunt force hit, it was so hard. It was a double axe handle hit with a stick. Jesus. And Brashear just it collapsed and hit the back of his head and all that. And it was inexcusable and still is to this day i do feel that the the shara the dino shara hit on max patcherating the stand this uh the stanchion they finished by calling it or the partition you know a few years ago i think it was 2010 against boston in the playoffs that was inexcusable too because you're responsible where you are and uh, on the ice at all time but no um to be honest parks and we met is more fresh in my mind and it's in a dead play situation it's after a whistle it's before the play starts, and you actually see Parks think about it, think about it, and tells himself, spoilers, sorry for the swearing, but tells himself, fuck it, I'm going to kick this guy between the shoulder blades. And he does it. Look at his face. Look at his face. There's intent. When there's about five seconds of thinking before you do something and you still do it, first of all, if you have to think about something five seconds before you think about doing it, Maybe it tells you that you shouldn't be doing it at the first place. But no, Romeo Parks lost his mind. And he has been suspended by the USL. But that doesn't even matter because his contract as a player for the Pittsburgh Riverhound has been terminated on Sunday. Which I do have to applaud the Pittsburgh Riverhounds even before the USL made disciplinary action against the player. They decided... No, never mind. They felt that he needed to act before. And they terminated his contract because in their own words, he did not respect, uh, well, he did not portray the Riverhounds, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. And his actions were not were not the image they do want to have as a soccer team. And he's done, gone for the season. Hopefully we'll never see him on a pitch again at a professional level. It's that type of hit. It's that type of an excusable offense. So, Creek Bear, to answer your question, I've been talking about it for five minutes now. It's Parks on We Met. Just because probably, yes, I I have talked to We Met before. I I do feel maybe closer to that that cheap shot because it happened, I don't want to say under my watch, but it happened when I was uh, covering the league in the fashion that we are on SPN and SPN Radio. So, Parks on We Met inexcusable but that doesn't mean that McSorley and Umbrashear and Bertuzzi or more are more excusable thanks Creek for the question now we talked about the NHL playoffs another playoffs another league finished tonight and uh, one could finish tomorrow the NBA uh, Cleveland Cavaliers first of all are already have their ticket for the Eastern Conference they're undefeated in the playoffs so far they're eight and zero. Even the Golden State Warriors cannot say that they're undefeated. Well, they had the whole deal that they lost uh, Curry for a few games. He's back, and he came back with a vengeance. His OT performance a few days ago was something to remember. I think he finished that game with forty points, and he played like 
a third of that game or something. Yeah, exactly. But now, so last night, the, uh, the Toronto Raptors won game five in Toronto. It was 2-2, so the Raptors took a 3-2 lead in the Eastern Conference semifinal for them. They do, though, have a, a little scare going into Game 6 tomorrow. Yes, of course, DeMar Rosen and Cal Lowry have played better in Game 5 than they have in the whole playoffs before that. Which tells you something, too, that they haven't really played one great game of basketball like we've seen them play all year in the playoffs so far. And they're one win away to going to the conference finals. So that being said, they'll need that game to be the next one. It's one thing to put a team on the brink. But it's another to push it over the edge. And to push a team that has a future Hall of Famer. And young players that are tough like Dragic. Bleeding doesn't matter. He wants to play. And that's the type of attitude that makes Miami a contender and a threat still even though they're one game behind. They win their home game tomorrow night, and it's back to Toronto for Game 7. And if Toronto lets a lead go in the playoffs again, the the ghost of years past of bad playoff performance, even though they're only one game away from the conference finals, have not playing well, will come back and will haunt them, and will still be there, and the questioning will still be there years to come. With the victory tomorrow night, the Raptors are going to play Cleveland, in the Eastern Conference Final. And you know, we're all expecting to be like easy going in the East and the West. Especially the West. We're like, oh, San Antonio Spurs are going to run through everybody. So is Oklahoma. We'll both, that's always uh, can, well, uh, the, the Golden State Warriors. And they'll meet in the final. Well, guess what? They're not going to meet in the Conference Final. Because Oklahoma City have finished the upset tonight with a decisive victory have found a way to defensively stop the Warriors, leave things on, uh, stop Duncan. Duncan had like no points in the first half. Like a lot of bad milestones for him in the playoff happened this year. And the Spurs are done. Spurs are eliminated in six. Oklahoma finished it. Oklahoma is well-deserved. And Oklahoma has arrived. Being in the shadows of the Golden State Warriors, which the best season of all time statistically and, well, practically as well, in NBA history. San Antonio probably the second ever. Second best ever. Not statistically, but the way they played and they they had to fight behind the shadow of the Golden State Warriors because of their records and achievements. Oklahoma was always the third wheel in that conversation this year. Not anymore. Not anymore. Now, Oklahoma is facing a Golden State Warriors in a conference finals that we'll probably remember for a long time. It will be quite very enjoyable basketball because of two reasons. Oracle Arena, where the Golden State plays, and I forget the name. I think it has to do with an insurance company with uh, Oklahoma, OKC. Those arenas are rocking for basketball games. And in the playoffs, you'll see a, a yellow out, strength in the numbers, and a blue out on the other side. And it's going to be amazing on TV. The atmosphere, the intensity of games. The styles make fights to teams that are a little different in their styles. Oklahoma, yeah, all teams are shooting team now, so we're not going to lie to each other. Cleveland has 
beating all the records in the playoffs. You want a three-shoot shot, and it's almost embarrassing. But that being said, now in basketball, they're all shooting the ball. But uh, Oklahoma's still a little, not old school, but with players like Westbrook and uh, what's-his-face. You know what I'm talking about. With those two being there, uh, Durant. So Durant, uh, KD. So Durant and Westbrook, superstars, great, great players that are more, not inside, but they do have an inside presence to the game that a Curry doesn't have. But it's going to be interesting because styles make fight, and it's going to be quite a fight for probably more than four games. I don't expect this sweep in that series. I expect very intense basketball. And yeah, I do believe Golden State will get their tickets for the NBA Finals, but it won't be easy. In the East, uh, first of all, are the Raptors going to beat the Heat tomorrow night? Very good question. Depends on the status of Damari Carroll's wrist. It's not his shooting hand. It's the other one. But he says he's going to play. As of this morning, by Dwight Casey, he was ruled as questionable. He landed hard on his wrist. And at first thought, he felt it become numb. So he thought it was broken. But eventually, after the MRIs came back negative... And he started to feel back the feeling and especially the pain. Then he knew that it wasn't broken. So now it's not broken. What's the damage? Is it manageable? Can he not use that hand and try to do his best? Uh, he's not the the shooter anyways. He does other things right on the pitch. So on the pitch, on the court. He might do things right on the pitch. We don't know. There's a lot of soccer, uh, a lot of basketball players that are great soccer players. But I don't think Carroll's that, that way. But on the court, on the hardwood... Hard uh-huh. Radio, back hopefully next week. Uh, me and Ben had the scheduling conflict. We couldn't find time to get together at the same time. So we will be back with it as soon as possible. But to finish on that matchup of can the Raptors win tomorrow night in Game 6? I think if they win tomorrow night, they're going to, well, obviously, if they win, if they win tomorrow night, they're going to make it to the conference finals. Duh. But if they lose, I think they might have a chance of going back to Toronto, having way too much pressure with Toronto fans and more. The Toronto expectations, which didn't exist before, but now with the We the North sweeping across the country, pressure gets highlighted, focused, and up and notched. And we'll see that happen if there's a Game 7 in Toronto. So the best possible scenario for Toronto is you go to Miami, Take a little bit of the sun, but most of all, take the win, take the series. White side is not there as well. It's the right time, it's the time to do it for a third straight game. He's not there. They won't do with those. Win the third one, finish the damn thing, and go and face Cleveland, which is the dream match. We all talked about how, well, with the way these regular season happen in the Eastern Conference, barring crazy injuries or fluke or upset, we should see an Eastern Conference of the Raptors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And it could be really interesting because the Cleveland Cavaliers actually struggled at some times against Toronto. Can they replicate that in a fashion, especially in a place and time setting where it's in the playoffs? And you have a Cleveland Cavaliers team that is hot, red hot, shooting threes, shooting from everywhere on the court, really enjoying beating records and being intimidating almost with their three-point shooting. When you have a LeBron James just draining threes like no tomorrow, 
it always encourages everybody to do so. And we have seen this team of Kevin Love, uh, LeBron James and company really step it up a notch this year. And yeah, it was probably has something to do with the David Blatt firing earlier this year. Now they're playing a different type of basketball that fits more maybe the pieces they have, maybe less focus in a system and more focus on reacting to game situation, which sometime in a fast-paced game like basketball where a situation can change in a second, it is important to be able to react and change the game plan, the game plan on a dime. Cleveland has been able to be dominant, so that's not even a question of factor. They've been able to impose their will. So when they continue to do that, Cleveland's going to be tough to beat. But styles make fight, and styles make basketball games. If you have a team that is really physical and everything like Cleveland, but you find a way to get that little Kyle Lowry open, it could be a problem for Cleveland. It was earlier this season when Toronto beat them uh, late in the fourth quarter, got the victory. If they can replicate those situation Toronto if they make it there if they win tomorrow night Toronto Miami it's a great conference final in the Eastern Conference and I actually I'm really excited to it's been can't believe I'm talking about basketball and I'm excited like this it's a sport that thanks to Ben I've been able to discover last six months now and I urge you to go listen to the archive of uh, Hardwood Radio on the Sports Podcasting Network, where you can listen to all the great shows we did over the last six months, talking about the culture, talking about different aspects of basketball, when Ben was explaining stuff to me, we were geeking out on the air, but you can do that, you can go listen to this, and get a, a feel of my discovery of basketball, and now those playoffs, and it's a really different type of basketball that was used to, I, I go maybe too much back to my ideas of the, the, the Bulls of 95, 96, and that era of basketball up until maybe 99, which I was more familiar with, because, well, back then it was on TV, and it stopped being on TV, and now it's back on my TV, so it's that simple, so when that was the case, when there was only RDS when we were a child, and uh, RDS stopped showing basketball with Bob C. Como, I've stopped watching, and it's basically because of the demand. When Michael Jordan was there, there was great demand. When he, when he left, it dropped, and that's what happened. Allen Iverson was not the type of character, especially not the type of player, that would draw a different type. And when he was like the the the, the torch was passed, well, it wasn't necessarily passed up here. Anyways, there's a lot of uh, fact that it was too expensive now once the Bulls and when the, B, the NBA became bigger, a channel like RDS couldn't justify the ratings they have with the amount of money they had to pay for that license. So it did make sense back then. Now it's different with the sports network, sports wars that we do have on French television right now with TVA Sport 1, 2, and kind of 3, and RDS 1, 2, and a 4. And you have uh, the English version of the battle with TSN 1 to 25 and Sportsnet 1 to 28. I know I'm exaggerating. I know I'm being unfair, but it's open lines after dark. You think I'm unfair? Give me a call. 1-802-375-7445. We'll take a quick break here on SBN Radio, and we'll be right back to talk about the Giro d'Italia. Music on the Sports Podcasting Network is courtesy of St. Clair. 
give their EP moving on on stclair.bandcamp.com. And we're back on SPN Radio. I am Kevin Laramie. You can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Laramie. You can follow the network at SportsPodNet. And if you want to interact with me right now, you can do so on Twitter at SportsPodNet or hashtag SPN Radio. Give us a call. Lines open 802-375-7445. You love what you're hearing? Go to SportsPodcastNetwork.com for all of our shows on demand for all our live content on demand you can actually stream now the network SPN radio on the actual sports podcast network webpage just go to the SPN radio tab click that you have the embedded player that you can listen to right now as well as a lot of great New content in the next few weeks, more live shows. You can always give us a call, 802-375-7445. Tomorrow at 11, we have 2S Extra, which the recording will be broadcasted live right here on our, our YouTube page. So you will be have a certain interaction with shows, and that's basically what we want to do. Another question, Creek. Uh, do you think men? Uh, do you think Manfred is serious when he says Montreal and Mexico City are his favorites, or does he have other intentions? That's very interesting. Uh, the, uh, first of all, I'll just say my thoughts on what uh, the Montreal baseball and how people talk about it. The, the, the Montreal baseball project has great intentions. It's a utopian idea, maybe, uh, but the way they went about it was all right. And people were saying it's a cash grab a couple years ago. It might have been. But strides have been made, and now that there is actually made some uh, two this year, two last year, two sellouts with baseball. Uh, of course, it's the, uh, the Blue Jays against this year was the Red Sox. Last year, I think it was Baltimore. It's important to have great results in the crowd, in the stands, when there's baseball playing here. But it would be something different. It's like saying to someone, come see my old house. So when you're ready to give me uh, a family, I'll build a new house. So it's different. So, so, of course, a new team should be in a new stadium in Montreal. It could work. It could be possible. There is a way to do it. But there's life has moved on. Not necessarily from here, but demographics, uh, education, habits, all those type of things over the last decade have moved a lot. And the, the Montreal Impact have taken now. It, it took a while, and it took maybe the last two years of everybody na- hitting that nail on the head. But now it's slowly grasping and taking its roots, uh, that type of summer outdoor feeling type of game. And that's what baseball need. Having covered the Montreal Impact outdoors for uh, last year and a few uh, other places, like in Mexico City, by the way, which will be, be useful when I answer your second part of the question. But for Montreal Creek, when you're looking at, uh, we'll take the impact as an example because they play in the Montreal Olympic Stadium twice or more a year, and they do play outdoors the majority of the season. So that correlation of having seen a baseball game outdoors myself, never in the same stadium that's a dome, though. And I think to really 
explain the point. You might need that, and it's a next. It's a it doesn't exist. So, but I have been once when I was a kid to the Olympic Stadium when it was open, and I have been many many times when it was closed. And when it was open, it was so much more enjoyable. That breeze. There's something about being feeling like you're indoors and feeling like you're outdoors at the same time. When you go to the Rogers Stadium, fuck it. When you go to the Sky Dome in Toronto and you listen in the stands and it's open, you get a feeling, you get a tan, you get a feeling that you're outdoors, sound is different, it feels like a ballpark, it sounds like a ballpark and it smells like a ballpark. But the air, the grass, that's part of it. The grass you can deal without, like in Rogers, but now there's dirt, so you smell that type of dirt, if dirt can be smelled. And you have that open, that breeze, the air of a city coming in. Smelling a city is part of being in a baseball stadium. When you go to Boston, it smells, it's old, and it's part of the Fenway Park. When you go to New York, to the new Yankee Stadium, it's all bright and shiny, it's beautiful, it's enjoyable, it's massive, it's impressive. But those are all outdoor stadium. And my best baseball experiences, I've always been outdoors. So before I include Montreal in actually that conversation, there needs to be more planned, but... I don't want to necessarily go the the Quebec City hockey type of route where you build it before they come and have in your minds we will build it and they come and now feeling like they're you have built it and they won't come. They might come. We'll see. I don't want them to. We'll see. But uh, <laughs> to go back to Montreal situation, uh, plans and ideas uh, for a stadium need to be included in an idea of having this city. Now, Mexico City Creek. Mexico City, having been to the city once for four days last year for the CONCACAF Champions League final. This city is massive. When you say massive, it's not a city. It's a mix of cities bundled up together. There's different parts of cities all across it. And it would be interesting where you put this team, which part of the city. I found Mexico, first of all, to put a stop to that thinking of, oh, it's going to be Mexico, it's dangerous, man, it's going to be like, oh, we're going to go play there, but I'm going to get, it's fairly, if not very safe city, uh, yeah, it's like everywhere, it's, it's like everywhere where you're not at home, you have to ha- act accordingly, but if you do, if you take your precautions and know where you're going and get to know how to get there, first of all, if you go to Mexico City, there's two type of cabs. There's the official hotels and airport cabs that are more expensive, but type of uh, track. So, an example, here's a story. So, I never said that story on the air before. So, there you go. You get a little special here, Creek, explaining to me if you go to Mexico City. First of all, I'll just finish my thoughts of Mexico City. I didn't see a big baseball presence, but that being said, I saw a huge American football presence and I did see some baseball stadium and some baseball being played. So that viability might be there, but it's more of a fan base perspective. If, if you gather the whole Mexican, the whole Mexico City cause behind a team against the rest of the league that would be American, it could be popular. If you call them, I don't know, the, uh, so whatever, I don't know, I don't want and the same thing with the luchadors, I don't know, Mexico City luchadors, they come to, uh, to North America and they beat everybody in baseball. It would be awesome, you know? And then they do a little drop kick by then. Boom! Two of the things I love at the same time. No, but Mexico City, the atmosphere, it could be interesting if you built a great city there. But going back to my little story, 
And by the way, you can call in as well, 802-375-7445. But to finish the story in Mexico City, last year, CONCACAF Champions League, it's the second day there. I'm on my way to the Montreal Impact Hotel to do the uh, pre-game the day before conference with the players. We interviewed Baki Sumare, Frank Klopas, and uh, uh, Evan Bush that day. I'm in the cab. It wasn't official. Hotel Cab. I was at the Fiesta Inn, uh, not too far from the stadium, not the closest hotel to the stadium, but one of the top four closest hotel. That was very good, very good for the price. And if I, well, the CONCACAF was staying in the same hotel as me. So all the head of the CONCACAF were at the same hotel as me. So that means that my choice wasn't too bad. Even though things are changing in CONCACAF, congratulations to Victor Montagliani, which he is the head of CSA and now the new president of CONCACAF. So uh, this is my, uh, the, my, Congratulations, Victor. But Creek, to finish my thoughts on Mexico City, I was there my way from the cab from my hotel to the Impacts Hotel. I go there with my phone. I put my phone between my legs because I'm talking to the Mexican cab. I'm having fun. I'm discovering a city. I'm watching outside. I'm taking pictures, putting my phone between my leg. I get up, go to the hotel. All the journalists are outside on the steps. How you doing, guys? How you doing? How you doing? Hey, can you show me this? Yeah, give me a second. I'll take it on my phone phone where's my phone where's my phone i don't have my phone i'm about 15 minutes away from having to record with my phone as my recording device interviews pre-game in the biggest game in the biggest covering event of my life in mexico city the gagaf champions league i don't really speak spanish really well I can ask, I can order, and I can take an order in Spanish. That's about sums it up. Now, go inside, which is not an hotel of my, the, the, my taxi was from my hotel, not this hotel. So let's start with, so I go talk to the bellboy, trying to explain the situation that, dude, I've lost my cell phone in the cab. And I'll make the story short, finish by explaining the story. The guy calls my hotel, blah, 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 blah. 14 and 59 minutes later, I'm there waiting and stressing and freaking out. I'm about to just take notes and listen to the press conference, not having my phone. I've lost all hope in one of the biggest cities in the world. I'm not even expecting my phone to appear. Out of the blue, I hear, Senor, Senor, el phone, phone. I turn around. My phone appears. Give $20 or pesos, I couldn't remember whatever I had on me, I gave it to him because he saved my life, took the phone, <laughs> opened it press record and started to in, to, to record Becky Sumare having not even missed one word it's, it's amazing even in the movies you cannot time something that perfectly, so to this day I thank uh, we'll call him Pedro so I thank Pedro, the Mexican taxi driver, that got my phone in one of the cities with the worst traffic in the world, by the way, brought it back to the hotel in time for me to interview Montreal back later. So that's my Montreal, uh, that's my Mexico City stories, by the way. So the moral of this story, if you're not in a hurry, you're not stressing for a couple dollars or pesos more than it would be, you should take the hotel and but from the airport to your hotel I suggest you always take the type of taxi from that they sell 
well, your travel agency will tell you. But in Mexico City, take the taxis that they suggest you take, the right ones that you need to buy a coupon and a fare, and it's already included. It's written on a piece of paper where you're going, so there's no confusion. I suggest you do that. When you're going from point A to point B and you want to be sure that there's nothing's going to go wrong and you're by yourself, always take the taxi from the hotel as well because you're by yourself. You don't know what to do. You need to have a, a certain amount of, of confidence in your taxi driver, of confidence in the system, and you know it's being tracked. You know that the hotel has your name and your passport number because you're registered there and they know that you went into that cab and they know where that cab is going. So that's the difference when you're in a hotel in an airport taxi. Now, if you're not by yourself, if you're three, two, three, four people, and you get to know a little bit of the city and you do speak Spanish, and you're four, you can take the calves that are two colors. The ones that are burgundy or red and gold on the top that are maybe 400% cheaper, but you're never quite sure. Let's just say that the last time I took that cab, we were three to start with, and they dropped, they both walk out at the first hotel I continued alone with the driver that had two guns tattooed on his forehead let's just say I was not necessarily comfortable for that about three miles between their hotel and my hotel everything was fine and the guy was great so first of all you shouldn't have preconceived ideas people but second of all still not reassuring when your taxi driver has two guns tattooed on his forehead that's my Mexico story. So, Greek, to finish your other question, wouldn't Havana be better than Mexico City with the USA's easing of relations with Cuba? Yes, it would be. But financially, which one is better? Financially, which countries on the up and up, which city has become a major investment capital for American companies? If you go to Mexico City... There's nowhere you can turn that you won't see the either a Domino's Pizza, a 7-Eleven, which, by the way, if you go to 7-Eleven in Mexico City, it's not the same as here. Uh, first of all, you need to drink a Jaritos and you need to have those great freaking... I, I lived off tacos and burritos from 7-Eleven in Mexico City. Man, so good. So cheap, about three pesos. Now you're going to get the feeling that I'm cheap. I'm not. It just it was so good. Like the quality, the the, the, uh, the quality for what you get, for what you pay, man, it was so good. But yeah, so maybe Cuba would be the more romantic, more fitting partners. But financially, is Mexico City more more sexy financially? Yeah, for the future, demographic wise, yeah, it makes a lot more sense in. Mexico City, and let's face it, Cuba is Cuba. The levels and the facilities, okay, Mexico City's standards are not up to maybe a North American stadium standards. At some places in Mexico City, it's even better. Some places in Mexico City, it's one of the greatest, not greatest, but biggest cities in the world, and it's developing that way. It's a very multicultural, metropolitan city. Mexico City is the biggest city I've ever been in, by far. So, like Mexico City itself is bigger than Cuba as a whole. So, I think if you put a team in La Havana, you know, it's not going to be necessarily easy. And there's going to be a lot of workarounds and uh, conditions and things to work around. In Mexico City, I think it might be more feasible quickly. So, that may be why he did pronounce that. And maybe 
Manfred only pronounced Mexico City to get people talking because it, it was almost out of the blue because you don't associate Mexico City as a baseball team and as a baseball city or as baseball potential. But again, when I was there last year, I did see some baseball artifacts, a lot of baseball jerseys, a lot of Yankees and stuff in the, 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 the normal. I was staying in more of a regular type of uh, place in town. I was staying in the Perisur area of Mexico City, in Sur Perisur, to be uh, to be precise, right next to a shopping mall. That's not a touristy. Well, first of all, Mexico City itself is not necessarily a touristy place, but it wasn't a touristy shopping mall. It was everybody's shopping mall with like a a freaking Zara's or whatever. It wasn't Zara's. It was a Mexican chain, but it was a supermarket and all that. And I did see a lot of like counterfeit baseball. But a lot of American football, too. Of course, soccer was still number one and everywhere. But baseball and American football was present in merchandising and memorabilia. So that's a sign, usually. So maybe Mexico City isn't a bad idea after all. If you want to give us a longer thought than on Twitter, you can always write an email. It'll be a pleasure to... Uh, I'm talking to Creek, but I'm talking to anybody that was willing to give us a long thought on their love of sports or whatever they want to communicate with our audience. Network at gmail.com Again, go to your phone, save the studio line, 802-375-7445. You can follow me at Kevlarme. Follow the network at SportsPodNet, iTunes, Stitcher, FeedBurner, PFR, PodBay, Player, Player FM, wherever you get your podcasts, the Sports Podcast Network is available. Subscribe to the network now for all our brand new, where, where you're listening to this right now live, if you are, on our YouTube page. But all our shows, which we can have possibilities, even during a recording, we will throw this out there if you would like to listen live, but do a little bit of behind the scenes sometimes and extra content, extra insider content between takes when me and Dwayne or me and Ben and Theo or anybody else have a conversation be between takes. You can be privy to those, but you need to subscribe to our YouTube page, which you can find if you are listening live. You can find, if not, look in the description of this show on the network and you can subscribe. I am Kevin Laramay. And as always, until next time, have a great sports. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.